Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read a couple passages in the Gospel of Mark today. We've been in this series called Renew. I just want to uh, introduce to you, sort of before we start reading the scripture, these two contrasting passages. We're going to read in Mark chapter 11 and Mark chapter 15. What we're going to read in the first uh, passage is a description of Jesus' entry into a city. And the second passage is going to be uh, a, a little tiny part of the beginning of his exit from a city. And so Mark 11 is going to show us what took place on Palm Sunday. That's today. That's what we celebrate here on this day called Palm Sunday. You might have heard the term the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus entered into Jerusalem the last week of his life. And the second passage we're going to read uh, that contrasts that is this moment in time after he's been arrested where he's beginning to leave the city for the end of his life. And so I want you to just take note of the, the differences in these two passages. I want you to take note that in both passages, there's gonna be crowds involved, there's gonna be shouting involved, there's gonna be yelling involved, and there's gonna be two very different responses to the person of Jesus the same week. The first passage is gonna take place after uh, presumably 30, 33 years of Jesus walking the earth, 30 years of relative obscurity, three years of powerful ministry, and then on Palm Sunday represents the beginning of the last week of his life. It's the beginning of the week that we call the Passion Week of Christ. What that means is uh, the, the Sunday to the Friday where he was crucified, we call it the Passion Week. That's, that's the week that represents him laying it all out there on the line for humanity. And he enters on Palm Sunday into the city, and we're going to see in a moment the crowds receive him with yelling and shouting. And then not even a week later, he's arrested, he's in shackles, and the ruler of the city puts him on the stand, and again we see a crowd shouting, and yet not more than a week later we see a very different type of shout. And so if you want to follow along with me, we're going to look at these two, and we're going to there's so many things that, that you can learn from the scriptures, and you know we could preach for hours on every verse. There's volumes that could be written, uh, but just for today, I want to draw just a few particular um, truths and one specific application to our natural lives through this supernatural example. And so we're going to read uh, Mark 11, verses 1 through 10, and then Mark 15. Here we go, Mark 11, starting in verse 1. After Jesus' three years of ministry... He finally shows up, and it says this. Now they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it, and if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we will send it back to you immediately. And then they went, and they found the colt tied on the door outside the street, and they untied it, and those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them, just as Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. You may have, your, your version might say palm branches. We call it Palm Sunday because that's what this is talking about. People would lay their coats down for Jesus to, to ride in on, and they would put palm branches down. Now, this is significant if you know the era, that this is something that the, the people would do when a king or a mighty militaristic leader would enter the city. This is a big deal. 
And this was making a statement. Laying these things on the ground for him to enter in on was a statement of proclamation of who he was and what he was coming to do. Verse 9, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting. Somebody said shouting. Shouting. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, saying, save us, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. David, the greatest king to ever rule in Israel. David, the one whom God gave a covenant commitment, saying, you will have somebody sitting on your throne for all of eternity. And this is how they received Jesus on this Palm Sunday, with cheers, with celebration, with recognition, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is the fashion with the crowd shouting and recognizing him. This is the fashion with which he walked into Jerusalem on Sunday. And not more than a week later, one of his friends had betrayed him and turned him over to the authorities. The the chief priests had collected him. They turned him over to the secular officials. He was in chains and they handed him over to Pilate And Pilate had the option to either release him and claim on their claims that were unfounded or to send him on to his death. And this is what took place. Turn to Matthew or uh, Mark chapter 15. Here it is at this point. He's in Pilate's care. And the trial begins. Verse 6. And now at the feast. This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the feast, the time of the year that they would celebrate the Passover, which is one of the most significant, if not the most significant holidays for the Jewish people to celebrate. This is the week of Passover, the week that Jesus decided to come to town and let his authority be known. It was the week of Passover, and on that particular week, during the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was one man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, do for us as you usually do. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, referencing Jesus? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd. Notice that there was a crowd that was shouting on his entrance to the city, and now there's a crowd again shouting here at this trial. And the chief priest stirred up the crowd. To release to them Barabbas instead. Verse 12, and Pilate again asked them, then what shall I do with the man called the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released uh, released to them Barabbas, and having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters the city, sitting on a colt with praises, with exaltations, with shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. And not more than a week later, he's put on trial, and the same crowd is shouting, crucify him, send him on to his death. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, and that uh, what you desire to accomplish this morning is not based on my ability to speak or to 
exegete this scripture, but it's based on the power of your spirit and the fact that you're present here and that you want to speak to each one of us individually and you want to speak to us as a community. And so together, we just open our hearts to you and we say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to say, however you want to say it, speak it to us because in this moment, we're willing to receive and let your word transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, have you ever heard of this thing called the Fire Festival? Raise your hand if you heard of the Fire Festival. A couple of you. You know music festivals are a big deal, like Woodstock. Raise your hand if you're at Woodstock. Just joking, don't raise your hand. Were you really at Woodstock? Okay, thank you. I mean, it's okay. Like, Lord saves us all, but... Uh, I mean, I heard. I wasn't born yet, but I heard it was crazy. Coachella's going on right now. It's a music festival. Some of these music festivals are, are crazy. There was this music festival that was supposed to take place in 2017 called Fire Festival, spelled with a Y because it's cool. And uh, their idea was that they were going to put on the greatest and best and most luxurious music festival ever created, and it was not going to be in the sticks, out in the, out in the trees, in a mud hole. It wasn't going to be in the desert in California. It was going to be in the Bahamas. And so they were going to charge thousands of dollars for these tickets, and a whole bunch of millennials asked their mommy and daddy for the money, and they paid it. And they sold all the... Now, now there's this guy named Billy McFarlane and the old rapper from the early 2000s named Ja Rule. They put the, they're the ones that made this thing. And the thing about Fire Festival is they hired an incredible marketing company, and they just did a phenomenal job marketing this event. Uh, just It was all over social media. They hired some of the most highly followed uh, social media influencers on Instagram and Facebook. They hired supermodels. They filmed all these videos down in the Bahamas, and they portrayed this image of this luxurious festival that was, everybody was going to be staying in these, these luxurious cabanas, and there was going to be gourmet chefs, and the tickets were thousands of dollars, and it was just going to be, everybody's dream is going to be amazing. And so they sold the tickets, but the problem was they ran out of money. And they didn't plan. And the whole thing turned out to be like a total fraud. But what they told people was that you were going to get a, a luxury cabana, that there was gourmet chefs that were going to feed you. And so I want to show you when, when everybody landed in the Bahamas and got off the plane and they walked up to the festival, this is what the cabanas looked like. Wow. Those are like FEMA tents. <laughs> this is a real picture from the fire festival. Like, there was a storm the night before, and there were just wet mattresses everywhere. Everybody's going crazy. They're like, just grab a mattress and go sleep somewhere. All the bands canceled, didn't even come. They said it's going to be gourmet chefs. Show, show a picture of the food. This is literally the food that they got. <laughs> Dry bread with cheese. It was a total crash and burn. Now, Billy right now is doing some time. I think he's fined $25 million. Somehow Jaw Rule got out of it, but it's like, it was this example of something that on the front end looked like it was gonna be the most amazing thing. High expectations. But on the back end, it was like the most abysmal failure of all time. And you know, in life sometimes, we can have certain expectations on the front side of an experience. 
and then what actually takes place and what we experience from, from this thing that we had so much expectation about could be, relatively speaking, an utter and complete failure. And the fire Festival, to me, is just this stupid example, uh, but a, a little glimmer into if we could get inside the hearts and the minds of what was taking place during this particular week of history, when Jesus enters in on one day with exclamation, with yelling, with shouting, with joy, with praise, with honor, and then on the back end of that very same week, some people feeling the feeling inside their heart of utter and complete failure, letdown, darkness, you have to think about what the expectation was in that particular week. Now, you and I have the privilege of looking back on history and, and knowing, well, yeah, he went to the cross and then he raised from the dead and we celebrate that next weekend on Resurrection Weekend and, and we know the story. But can we just for a moment put ourselves in, in that city, in that time, in that space, in that week? What would it have felt like? Now I want to point out to you amongst the many lessons just three reasons why uh, Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry uh, amongst all the reasons, three particular reasons why it was very important. The first reason is this, it was Passover. Now if you don't know biblical history, what Passover and the celebration of Passover represents, Jesus chose to enter into Jerusalem the week of Passover. That means that his entrance into Jerusalem was important from the calendar's perspective. It was Passover week, which is the thing that they had celebrated all the way back to the enslavement time where God's people were in Egypt. And what took place in that time is that God's people were enslaved by the Egyptians and God raised up the man Moses to be the great deliverer. God sent Moses to the Pharaoh and after begging the Pharaoh to let God's people go into the promised land where he had called them, you know the story, after nine plagues, Pharaoh still would not let his people go. And so God finally said, fine, I'm gonna send one more plague and if you don't respond, you know, and so he said to his people on this night, I want you to take a lamb who is spotless and pure and I want you to kill that lamb and take that blood and wipe that blood on the door frames of your houses. Now to us in our day and age, that sounds a little gruesome and that sounds a little weird and that sounds a little creepy. But what we need to remember is that biblically speaking, the theological truth is this, that the life is in the blood and that blood and the death of, of something and the shedding of blood is required for the covering of sins. And so God established this principle so long ago and he said to the Pharaoh, I'm gonna kill all of the firstborn on this night, but every house that has the blood of the atonement wiped on the doorframe, the angel of death is going to pass over that house and spare the child. This is where we get the term Passover. And so God told his people, you're to kill this animal, you're to wipe the blood on the doorframe, and if the blood is on the doorframe representing the faith that's in your heart, trusting me, I'm gonna pass over your house and spare your child. And that night, all of, all of the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were all killed. And that was the final sign that said to Pharaoh, you need to let these people go, you need to obey God, and finally, you know the story, they left, and there was 
there was this great victory in uh, passing through the Red Sea and they went on their way. But this, this is the exact celebration, the salvation, the deliverance that Moses started, this particular week is what they were still celebrating. And so it's very, very important that Jesus chose this particular week on Palm Sunday to enter into this city. The second reason why it's important that he chose to enter the city is that for the first time ever, it was public. I don't know if you remember, but so many times throughout the three years of his ministry, he would do a miracle and he would tell the person, don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. Even in Matthew chapter 16, when he asked his friends, who does everybody say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And they acknowledged for the first time, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, don't tell anybody. You notice that Jesus all the time was trying to keep for for the moment that he knew it needed to be relatively secret But in this moment in time, he sat on a colt and he entered the city and he allowed his his identity to be publicly known. The third reason that it's important is that it was proclaimed. So it it was the Passover. That means it was important from the calendar's perspective. It was public. That means it was important from Jesus' perspective. And it was proclaimed. That means that it was important from the people's perspective. That as Jesus entered the city on Palm Sunday, they laid down their coats, they laid down their palm branches, and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, Jesus. Blessed are you who's coming in the name of the Lord, our father David. You're the king who represents the kingdom of Israel. And I say all that to illuminate for you that when he entered the city on Sunday, all of the people... The crowds were shouting because they had high expectations of who he was going to be. Expectations. Many people would argue that they expected him to be a military leader, a deliverer from this oppressive Roman rule that was ruling over God's people, that he was going to set them free in a militaristic fashion. And then when Jesus, throughout that last week of his life in ministry, revealed himself to be a humble servant, not a military leader, but somebody that wasn't gonna conquer through death of others, but he was gonna lay down his life through the death of himself, there was frustration. There was unmet expectations. And so not more than a week later, after he entered in triumph, we see him being put on trial and being sent out of the city to the place of the skull to be put to death. And if you were there in that moment of time, not knowing the story, you might be left of the feeling that on the front end it looked like it was gonna be the greatest thing in your time, and on the back end it looked like a complete failure. You know the story, even when he was on the cross, the, the guards looked at him and said, yeah, if you really were who you said you were, Get yourself down off that that cross. Call your angels. But you're not who you said you were. You can't do it. And so today, of all of the lessons that we could draw, um, I just want to invite you. That's why I titled this message, Renew Your View, The Victory of Defeat. 
because what we need to remember is that our expectations of who God is gonna be in our life, our view of him, our expectations, are what we have in our mind and we've built up as what he's gonna do and be and do for us, it doesn't always pan out that way in our own lives in the same way that it didn't pan out in that particular week of his life of what the people expected. There is victory that comes from defeat and we see that God proves this to us all throughout his scriptures. I want to illustrate it this way. There was, a, there was a high school basketball tryout in 1978 at Emsley A. Laney High School. Ever heard of it? No? About 50 kids tried out for the varsity team that year in 1978, and about 70% of those kids were going to get cut from the team. And the way that the coach decided to cut everybody is he just, I think they did this, maybe they still do it now, but he just wrote all the names of the kids that made the team on a piece of paper, slapped it up in the locker room, and all the boys would gather around and see if their name represented victory on that sheet, or if their name was missing, it represented failure in their life. And one particular boy's name was not found on that sheet, and he went home and cried in his bedroom. But that same boy, one underscore. 32,292 points in the NBA, acquired for himself six NBA championships, five MVPs, 14 all-star games, and he was also on the dream team. And if I do say so, my humble opinion, became the greatest basketball player to ever live. And Michael Jordan said this. Whenever I was working out and I got tired and figured I ought to stop, I'd close my eyes see that list in the locker room without my name on it, and that usually got me going again. I'm here to tell you this morning that sometimes it's in those utter failures in our life that produce the greatest victory. Now, I don't know if Michael Jordan would have became the same player that he did become if he would have made the team, but I do know this, that sometimes how we respond to darkness and failure and defeat can set us on a path for a greater victory than we could have ever had otherwise. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. We see this, we see this all over. Abraham was not able to have a child. It was, it was a total defeat. If you would have looked at him, his peers would have said, you're too old, you're a failure. But it was from that defeat and that failure that God raised up Isaac as this son to, to represent the family that we all come from. We see this in Jacob, we see this in Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was accused by Potiphar's wife. He was sent to jail, he was forgotten in jail. And it, if it wasn't for those defeats in his life, he would not have risen to the place of authority in order to also himself redeem all of Israel. We see it time and time again. Jonah's utter failure in leaving and running away from God's plan was the thing that actually led him to Nineveh's salvation. We see this in Esther's life. It was this moment in time where if you would have been in her position that all of your people were gonna be slayed, but because of her faith and calling people to fasting and, and seeking God, it was through that time of failure that there was this great victory that now we can look back on and see that God showed himself faithful. L listen, Paul, I thought about this recently. The Apostle Paul might have been arguably the highest trained person, one of the highest trained people in all of the Jewish land. He said of himself, I, I surpassed all of my peers in my education. I was the highest of the high. I studied under one of the greatest uh, uh, rabbis and 
What's so interesting to me, I thought about this just recently, is that Paul was so frustrated in his ministry with his ministry to the Jews. Like if anybody could speak to the Jewish mind, it was the, it was the Apostle Paul. He had all of the education. He had every argument. He had the, tor- the, the Torah memorized. He knew everything. If anybody could argue to the Jews to come to faith, it was him. And yet he experienced such frustration and failure in his ministry to the Jews that he said, fine, I'm gonna go and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's through these, these failures that in the moment we experience darkness and defeat that oftentimes lead to the greatest victories. And if it wasn't for that frustration in his life, you and I might not have heard of the gospel. And so I came here this morning to tell you that I don't know what it is that you're going through. I don't know what pain you are currently experiencing or you have experienced in your life. But the principle of our God is this, that no matter what darkness, no matter what failure, no matter what defeat, when David was hiding and running for his life in the caves, it was out of that defeat that he rose to the greatest place of victory, that we serve a God that can change all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Now, the truth is this, that the, the negativity and the failure and the defeat that we experience in our life sometimes is due to our poor choices, our sin, and sometimes it has nothing to do with something that we've done. Sometimes we experience just, just rejection and defeat and, and we're downcast and, and maybe our bank account is empty and we got fired from the job. And You know as well as I do that some things in life just seem like they happen and we don't know why. It's like I didn't do anything. I, and then some, some things in life are consequences of our own mistakes or our own sin. And I don't really have time today to, to discuss the difference between punishment, consequence, uh, and discipline. But someday I think we should preach on that because there is a difference between punishment, discipline, and con- natural consequences. But what I came here this morning to just uh, invite you to consider is whether or not the struggle in your life is founded or based on your action or your sin or something that had nothing to do with you, I just came to remind you that the week of the passion reminds us that no matter what, out of the darkest failures, God can create the greatest victories. It's a principle. And I can't begin to explain away every situation that's in your world. I don't know. But I do know that the principle of God is that he redeems all things when we give our life to him. And that even when we don't know it, even when we don't believe it, even when we don't feel it, even though, even when we don't currently experience it, if we continue to trust in him, he can raise out victory out of darkness. And I just felt in my heart that like so many of us, the believers in the room, that your faith experience was a lot like that that week where a preacher like me stood up on stage and announced to you that when you give your life to Jesus, your life is gonna be blessed. He's just gonna make you fat, dumb, and happy. You're gonna have everything that you ever wanted. And And we preach things like, Jesus came to bring you life and life abundant. 
And so we receive Jesus into our heart the same way that the crowds received Jesus into this city, with praises, with shouts. Yes, you're gonna be the conquering king in my life. But then oftentimes what we feel like we're experiencing is what they experienced on Friday. You let me down, Jesus. This victory is not the victory that I expected. You're not the conquering king that that preacher convinced me you were. And I'm here to remind you, yes, Jesus came to bring you life and life abundant, but it's not based on your expectations of how he's gonna do it, when he's gonna do it, why he's gonna do it. If you give your life to him, it does not matter what your physical fleshly eyes see and what it feels like in the moment. If he has entered into your world triumphantly, he is also gonna work triumphantly even if it looks like it's the darkest of dark. Amen. Because our God is a God who can create victory out of even the greatest defeat and that was the example that he set for us on the cross. Worship team, if you wanna join me. Um, I just want to give you one example, and then um, I, wanna, I just want us to pray this morning and pray for people that are going through dark times. Um, I moved to Coeur d'Alene in 2007 with a dream in my heart to start a, a ministry-based coffee shop. And we said, Jesus, if you're with us, we're going to raise $30,000 in 30 days just to know that you're with us. And after 30 days, we had 36 grand. So we started looking for buildings. I was, uh, I was ordained in a different denomination, working for a different church, had a different pastor who was my partner, and we were trying to start this coffee shop. We just wanted to reach this city, and uh, building after building after building after building after building fell through. Failure after failure after failure. And it was just so hard, that, that season in my life, where... I felt like God had given me this, this amazing call, this, this vision from heaven to do this thing, and I was experiencing total failure, and I just got to the place where I'm crying out to God, like, if this isn't from you, just take it. Take it from my heart, like, I don't wanna do anything you don't want me to do, but why do we, why do we feel like we're supposed to do this? And it was just a season of complete defeat. My partner eventually had to, he had a family of six, four kids and a wife, and he had to move and take a job somewhere else at another church because our little house church of 25 people wasn't paying the bills. 2008 happened and everything, the economy went down, as you know, and it was just this total failure. But if it wasn't for that failure in my life, I never would have met these two. I never would have been invited into this community. And if it wasn't for that defeat, I never would have been standing right here. And what's really exciting, if I do say so myself, is the Heart of the City Church plans in about one year's time to plant a coffee shop downtown where we're gonna do church out of. So we're really excited about that. We're looking for buildings right now. We're, we're, raising, we're raising funds right now. You're probably gonna hear about that a little bit more coming up. But you know, I decided in my heart, like we're believing for this and we're trusting for this, but if God, if God turns the corner and something else happens, it's okay. Because if I'm really resigned, like genuinely, joyfully resigned to God's will and God's desire, then my heart should say, no matter if it feels like failure, if we know that we're trusting you and following you in faith, that whatever happens, I know that it's gonna be victorious and good. 
because he's in control. He's sovereign. He's for you. He's not against you. The promise of his word says that there's nothing that can separate you from him. That no matter what it is, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, he can turn all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I just wanna invite you, if you're going through it, if you're struggling, if if you are experiencing the definition of frustration, which is unmet expectations, if you have this view of of who Jesus is in your life where you, you received him in triumph and yet you're feeling like what's taking place in your world is defeat, I wanna remind you that our God is victorious even when it doesn't look like it.